Well, thank you very much for your welcome. Good to be with you and have this opportunity to speak to you from the scriptures. If you'd like to turn to your Bibles, uh, John's Gospel and chapter 7, and we find our reading starts in verse 32. So John's Gospel and chapter 7 and verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I will go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go, that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he saith, You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, Let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, truly, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But others said, will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that Christ comes from the seed of David, from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So there was a division amongst the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him. But no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or Pharisees believed in him? This crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does not our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Now the words I'd like to speak to you from this morning are found in those three verses, verses 37, 38 and 39. Those words are some of the greatest sayings of our Lord Jesus Christ when he was here in this world. J.C. Ryle, Bishop of Liverpool many years ago, said of these words, They ought to be written in gold. And they are indeed wonderful, wonderful words. 
verses 37 and 38 are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 39 is an explanation of verses 37 and 38. Let me read them to you again. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. My title will be, Christ Alone Can Satisfy. There was a man, he prayed a prayer. Lord, I crawled across this barren wilderness with a little cup in my hand, asking from you a drop of refreshment. He prayed later, Lord, if I'd only known you better, I would have brought a bucket. And that's one of the wonderful things which we find in this tremendous statement of the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me. Now I have three observations to make from these three verses. So each verse, there'll be some explanation. Number one. You would expect the Lord Jesus Christ to say, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me. You would expect him to say that. One, because of the great theme of Scripture. How does the Bible begin? It begins with a garden. And in that garden, there is a river. It says in the Scripture, And a river went out of the garden of Eden to water the garden. So the Bible begins with a river. How does the Bible end? In the book of Revelation, chapter 22, there is a river. And we have this wonderful, wonderful statement. He showed me a pure river of water, the water of life. Clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now isn't that wonderful? A river that proceeds from the throne of God and from the Lamb. He is the source of all water that can satisfy the soul. It's interesting also in the last chapter of Revelation, we have the last invitation from the Lord. He says, let anyone who thirsts come to me, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. So the great theme of the Bible is this thought that Christ can satisfy us with the great water that he gives to his believing people. I could say, Right in the middle of the Bible, 
It's not quite right in the middle of the Bible. It's not far off, though. We have this wonderful psalm, Psalm 46 and verse 4, where it says, There is a river, and the streams thereof shall make glad the city of God. And, of course, that's a lovely picture of the church. What keeps the church of the Lord Jesus Christ alive, growing, and standing in this world? It's because there is a river. And that river, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. So we should expect the Lord Jesus to say these wonderful words because of the theme of the Bible. If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me. Now, You'd expect the Lord Jesus Christ to say these words because of the types, or if you like, the pictures or the illustrations that we find in the Bible. If you look at the beginning of this chapter, it says, Now the feast, now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. It was set aside. To remind God's people that for 40 years in the wilderness, God's people of old were sustained by the Lord. Now, you will remember that there was one occasion when uh, shortly after they'd returned, uh, got out of Egypt, and there they were in the uh, wilderness, there was no water. And the people began to groan and moan. Because there was no water. And the Lord said to Moses, You see that rock? I want you to take your rod, and I want you to smite the rock. And he did. And out from that rock, it wasn't a few drops of water. It was a mighty river, a gushing water coming from the rock. And it was that water that sustained them. Throughout their wilderness journeys, we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, we learn that that rock was Christ. And what a wonderful illustration that is. Our Lord Jesus Christ, there on the cross of Calvary, was smitten by God in order that there might be everlasting life for his people. As the old hymn puts it, grace is flowing like a river, millions there have been set supplied, still it flows, it flows from ever, from the Saviour's wounded side. And that's the great joy of being a Christian, of knowing Christ and knowing this wonderful statement, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. And drink. And of course, you'd expect the Lord Jesus to say these words because of the, the visions of the Bible. In Ezekiel chapter 47, there is a vision. It is a vision. God is in his temple. And from the doors of the temple, there flows a river. And as the river flows, it gets deeper. And deeper and deeper. And it flows into the the desert. It seems a bit strange. It goes uphill and downhill. But as it flows through the desert, beside the 
that the river, trees grow. It's fruitful. And that river, it flows down into the Dead Sea. Now, what's the Dead Sea famous for? (laughs) You've got it. It's dead. (laughs) Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. But as this river that flows from the temple of God comes to the Dead Sea, there's life. There's trees all around the Dead Sea. And there's fish in abundance. And the fishermen are having a great time. And it says that the river healed the Dead Sea. What a wonderful picture that is. Where there was deadness, there is now life. And it reminds us of the glories of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone who thirsts, let him come to me. Where there is deadness, spiritual deadness, there comes life. And people are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we expected the Lord Jesus Christ to say these words. We expect him to say these words because of the the sins that the people of old committed. In Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13 it says this. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters and have hewed out systems, broken systems that can hold no waters. What they had done, they had turned from the living and true God to false gods and these false gods were like pots that were cracked. They couldn't hold water and of course they weren't gods at all. But that was the sin of the people of old, they turned from the one who was the fount of living water. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he's surrounded by the Jews on their special time of remembrance of the wilderness journeys. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And there's one more reason we should say you would expect Jesus to say this. Because of the invitations of the Old Testament. Do you remember Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1? We have this great invitation. Ho, everyone who thirsts, let him come to the waters. And of course there's another lovely invitation as well. Isaiah 12 and verse 3. With joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. We do not just see the Lord Jesus Christ saying words of prophecy here, but here we see in our text the one who had left heaven, who had come and humbled himself, and yet amongst that great crowd of people, remembering the feast of the tabernacles, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. What a wonderful invitation. But let me just lead you on a bit further with this this thought about expecting, why we expected the Lord Jesus Christ to say such wonderful words. You would expect him to say these words because 
He is God. They saw but a man. But when we come to this glorious text, we see one who is truly a man, yes. But we see one who is the incarnate God. And he says, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And of course, this is what we believe as Christians. There is only one who can satisfy the eternal soul that you have. And it is Christ. Nothing else can satisfy an eternal soul such as we have. But Christ, because he is God. Let me observe three things. When the Lord Jesus Christ said these words, he was surrounded by unbelief. Now remember what characterized the journeys in the wilderness. Why didn't they enter into the promised land? They didn't believe. There was unbelief. God can't do it. Let's go back to Egypt, they said. Unbelief. But here is the Lord Jesus. He is surrounded by unbelief. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to give him into the authorities' hands to do away with him. And here he is, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is this God, the Son, and they want to kill him. They are surrounded by unbelief. Now things do not change. In the wilderness, as they camped around, what did they camp around? There was the tabernacle right in the center of the camp and God was there. The cloud of God's presence was there and the high priest could meet with God in the Holy of Holies once a year. And yet around that camp, in that camp was unbelief. Around the Lord Jesus Christ here is unbelief. And what characterizes men and women today? We are this little group of believers, many of us. But what are we surrounded by? Whether it's in the workplace or in the education world, in society in general, unbelief. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ, he says to an unbelieving world, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. What an invitation. Let me observe something else. In 1994, John Major's government introduced the National Lottery. Shortly after, I had an invitation to go and speak at a coffee morning. And the title was this. I don't know really whether I, why I went really, but there again I went. The title was, Why I Will Not Be Buying a National Lottery Ticket. Well, I thought I was going to be fed to the lions. So I turned up at this coffee morning, and I was surrounded by people, and that was my title. And I said three things, and I can vaguely remember where I went. Now, I thought the first one, they'd throw me out. I said, look, do you buy a National Lottery Ticket? 
It reveals what's in your heart. You're covetous. You're greedy. You're not satisfied with what you've got. And that tells me what the Bible is right. That we all have a covetous heart. The second point was, the National Lottery says, there'll be many who are made rich. But I said, do you know something? Many will be made poor. And they'll be set on a course of a habit of gambling. Do you know, I think I was right, wasn't I? What's one of the big problems in our society today? Gambling. Lives are ruined. They live in poverty because of the addiction of gambling. And the third point was this. And those who are made rich, who win, they will soon discover that this world cannot satisfy. This world is an empty place. It promises so much. And yet it's empty. I remember once doing a job for a, a person who had won the National Lottery. Oh, it was a very nice house he'd built. Well, actually, it wasn't just one house. He'd built three nice houses, actually. And I often wonder what happened to that man. This world, it offers so much. And yet, it is empty. The Lord Jesus Christ says to a world that is dissatisfied, full of covetousness, he says, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me. So an unbelieving world, a dissatisfied world. Thirdly, years ago, there were some Australian explorers, and they got lost in the desert. And just before they died, they wrote in the sand these words. Lost, lost, lost for lack of water. Isn't it strange? We live in an unbelieving world. We live in a dissatisfied world. Do you know what? We don't find many people who are thirsty for God, do we? We don't find many people who are longing to be forgiven of their sins. We don't see many people who want to move from unbelief to faith in Christ. And people, though they know their emptiness and their dissatisfaction... They do not come to Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ says, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And if the person does not come to the Lord Jesus Christ and drink of his salvation, they are lost, lost, lost for all of eternity. What a statement our Lord Jesus Christ makes. I just want to make 
one more comment under this thought. You would expect Jesus to say this. Can I just say, this is my longest point. The other two points are not quite as long, all right? Just imagine. Well, can I just observe, first of all, in verse 37, how Jesus said these words. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. Did you notice that? He stood. Now, when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, he sat. There was another occasion when he sat in a boat and taught. But on this occasion, he stood and he cried out. Now, just imagine you're in a house. Someone comes to you and says, I don't know if you're interested, but I've got a bit of information. Now, you can take it and leave it. I don't want to force it upon you, but I thought you might just be a little bit interested in this bit of information that I've got. The house is on fire. I think it would be far better, wouldn't it, if you went in and said, fire, fire, get out as quickly as possible. The Lord Jesus stood and cried, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Here we see a God of love pleading with men and women. Here we see the compassion of Christ to men and women lost in their sins empty in this world, full of unbelief, with urgency, and with a cry, he says, if anyone who thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Ladies and gentlemen, can I just say, if you are a Christian, how you ought to pray for Christian preachers, that then their preaching there might be an urgency and a compassion and a pleading for men and women, boys and girls, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our own witness, that there might be something about us which shows men and women who are lost in their sins, that there is an urgency in the tone of our voice, in the compassion and love we have to such people who are lost. So the Lord Jesus Christ says to an unbelieving, empty people who are lost in their sins, if anyone thirsts, let him come unto me. Can I just say, I've been around for a little while, and I know this, Even in our churches, there's people, you can say the right things. You can do the right things. You've come to the right place. But underneath, there's a heart full of unbelief. It's empty. And you're lost. That's why I speak with great concern this morning to your soul and this great invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ to come to him and drink.
So you would expect the Lord Jesus Christ to say these words. Now the second thing I want to say is this. Look at verse 38. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now please notice, the person who believes in Christ, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now I've chosen a hymn at the end, which really sums up this thought. Horatius Boner, he wrote these words, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now... I live in him. Now, if you're a Christian this morning, you can identify yourself with the words of that hymn because that's what happened to you. You heard the call of Christ. And you came to Christ. You humbly came to Christ. You stooped down because you knew you were a sinner. And you needed Christ. And in a wonderful miracle of grace, You took of that living water that Christ gives to needy sinners. And of course, this is the experience of so many. But now I want you to notice something else. First of all, let me give you a a little illustration. I've been reading just recently the life of David Brainard. It's his diary. He was born in 1718, converted at the age of 21. He became a missionary uh, to the North American Indians. And he died 1747 at the age of 29. Hadn't been a Christian very long, had he? But in that life, there was poured wonderful service for the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he was converted through our text, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he reasoned this. He says there's only one condition that a person can come to Christ. They need to be thirsty. There's only one command in the text. It is to come. And there is only one satisfaction a person can experience. And that is to drink of Christ. Now, how do you know that you have been born again? How do you know that you're a real Christian? Well, this is the answer. It's in our text. It says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And of course, he is speaking of God, the Holy Spirit. So what happens at conversion? Salvation is poured into a person's life. There is new life in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in a person at conversion. But the sign that a person is converted is out of their heart pours rivers of living water. Now let me illustrate it by the life of David Brainard. First of all, he argues this. 
in the person that has been born again, there will be sacrificial service. He said these wonderful words. He says, I care not where or how I live, what hardships I go through, so long as I can gain souls for Christ. And the moment he was converted, there came a burden on his life to take the gospel to others. It took him to the North American Indians. David Brainard did not enjoy good health. He had to sleep in dangerous conditions in forests. He literally rode thousands of miles on horseback. And yet, he took the gospel to the North American Indians. So he said there'll be sacrificial service. He says there'll be spiritual discipline. When giving advice to other young Christians, he said this. When you cease from your labor, in other words, your daily work, fill up your time in reading, meditation, and prayer. And while your hands are laboring, let your heart be employed as much as possible in divine thoughts. And David Brainard said this about his own life. He said, my soul often mourned of more time an opportunity to be alone with God. So there was sacrificial service, spiritual discipline. And then he says this, selfless love. This is a word for today, isn't it? Selfless love. We live in a very selfish society, don't we? And sometimes it spills over into the church. He said this, Oh, that I could spend my every moment of my life to the glory of God. And from the moment of his conversion, there flowed from him this great emphasis of reaching these North American Indians with the gospel. And there was revival amongst those Indians. And the amazing thing is this. He had to speak through an interpreter. And generally his interpreter was not a Christian. And yet God used it in such a wonderful, wonderful way. Now I'm not asking you to be a David Brainard. But I am asking you this. Do you have spiritual life within your soul which flows out in sacrificial service, spiritual discipline, and selfless love? You are here to serve Christ and to bless others with the gospel and bless fellow believers in your service Towards them. Now that is the experience of true conversion. When the Holy Spirit at conversion is poured within you, it flows from you. And forgive the pun, you have to keep filling up your tank. Because I'm not talking about petrol and diesel, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. It's as you commune and you feed upon the word of God, as you meet for worship with other believers, as you plead for God for more of his spirit, it's then 
when the Spirit of God flows from the believer. Now that's my second thing. That's the experience of the Christian. Now I've got one more thing to say and it's an explanation. This is verse 39. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit would come in a very wonderful, abundant way after the Lord Jesus Christ was glorified, after he'd gone to the cross to suffer for our sins at Calvary. Now can I give you an illustration? It's a biblical illustration. It comes from the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 14. Now the book of Leviticus, I think you'll all agree, is quite a difficult book to read. But I call it God's picture book of salvation. Because as you dig deep, you discover there's pictures of salvation. In chapter 14, it's about how the leper might be cleansed. Leprosy is a horrible disease. It corrupts the body. But leprosy in the Bible is a picture of sin. By nature, we all have corrupt hearts. And they desperately need cleansing. Well, what would happen when the leper was officially cleansed? The priests would come. They would offer an animal sacrifice on the altar. And they would take the blood of that sacrifice. And they'd do a strange thing. We would think it would be strange. They'd take some of the blood and put it on the right ear of the person to be cleansed. They'd put it on the right thumb of the person to be cleansed. And they'd put it on the big toe of the right foot. You may say, whatever's that all about? Well, it's a picture. What's been going through your ears this past week? Well, I'll tell you what's happening in the world. Filth. Wickedness. Corrupting your thoughts. And you need to be cleansed from your thoughts. And the blood of Christ can that do that and that alone. The thumb speaks of your works. What you do. Your wicked works. They need to be cleansed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your toe, it speaks of your ways. The way you walk. The path you take. And so often they're in disobedience to Almighty God. Your ways need to be cleansed. Now when the priest had done that, he'd get some oil. Now oil in the Bible is the picture of the Holy Spirit. Now that's relevant to what we're thinking about, isn't it? And the priest would come along and on top of the blood, he'd place the oil. Top of the blood on the thumb, he'd place the oil. And on top of the big toe, where the blood is, he'd place the oil. What happens when a person believes? 
Directly they have been cleansed from their sin by the precious blood of Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and cleanses up their thoughts and changes their doings and makes their ways more obedient to the Lord God Almighty. Now that is wonderful. But my principle is this. First the blood and then the oil. Now remember the Lord Jesus Christ in our text is in his humility. He is humbled and he's going to the cross. And there he would suffer for our sins. And there he would cry, I thirst. Isn't it amazing? The one who is the fountain of living water cried, I thirst. What agony. What pain. What sufferings were our Lord Jesus Christ. What wrath he endured from his heavenly father. There on the cross he paid for our every sin. All of God's people's sins were paid for. What a sacrifice the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished on behalf of his people. He was buried. The third day he rose again. After 40 days he ascends back to heaven. And heaven erupts. Truly our Lord Jesus Christ is glorified. Then ten days later, the Spirit of God comes at Pentecost to infill the believer's heart. Remember, first the blood, then the oil. The order is the same in conversion. First the blood, and then the oil. Now, of course, John Newton got this so well. In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new wonder struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood, who fixed his loving eyes on me as near the cross I stood. My conscience felt and owned the guilt And fell in deep despair. I saw my sins. His blood had spilt. And helped to nail him there. Another look he gave which said. I freely all forgive. This blood is for your ransom paid. I died. That you might live. That is what happens when a person becomes a Christian. One moment the cross of Lord Jesus Christ means nothing to them. But then the Lord works in your life. And the cross of Christ becomes everything to you. And the Lord comes and blesses you with salvation through the Holy Spirit. God the Son paying for your sin and God the Holy Spirit bringing you into full assurance of salvation. Can I just say, I've heard people say this. We have the Holy Spirit, they say. But they deny the substitutionary death of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
My dear friends, they are not Christians. First the blood, then the spirit. And the Christian, the true Christian, glories in the cross. But they are assured that that work has taken place in their heart because the spirit of God is within them. I must conclude. I might be speaking to someone this morning. And you say, well, I'm not sure if that's happened to me. But remember what David Draynard reasoned. He says, there's only one condition to come to Christ, and that's you've got to be thirsty. Are you thirsty to be forgiven? There's only one command, and that's to come. And there's only one place of satisfaction, and that's to drink. Drink of the waters of salvation that Christ offers. Let's pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we bow in these moments. We thank you, Lord, for the wonder that the Lord Jesus Christ stood and cried in this world. If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me. We thank you, Lord, for those of us who have come. and We've known what it is to have the joy of being filled with those wonderful waters of salvation in our soul. We pray, our most gracious God, that if any know not that great privilege, we pray that even today, they might hear the call of Christ and come and drink. Thank you for your mercies, your kindness, and your great love that you have shown in the person of your dear Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept our thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.